Hey friends, have you missed me? I'm so sorry we missed last week and uh, are a little late getting getting the next episode to you. Uh, the challenges of sometimes doing 20 things by yourself uh, caught up to me, I, I will admit, and uh, throw a little sickness in there and you know, well, that's what you have. Uh, but we are making up for it this week. And um, I'm super excited to share all of that with you to really launch the beginning of an opportunity for you to have actual conversations with some of these amazing farmers and food makers that we are profiling and and sharing uh, stories with you about on a monthly basis going forward in our new webinar series that we're going to be telling you about in just a minute. But welcome back to our podcast, Tasting Terroir, a journey that helps you more accurately navigate the marketing claims of better for you food by understanding the link between healthy soil and the flavor of your food. I'm your host, Sarah Harper. This episode features a conversation I had with several of our regenerative farmers and food companies. Many of them we've uh, interviewed in previous episodes of the podcast from our global food and farm community. And by the way, if you are curious about that community, we just have launched a new website that I built myself, globalfoodfarm.com or globalfoodandfarm.com, which uh, we'll be profiling and uh, being able to link you to these fine folks, as well as explaining the benefits of being part of our community. What, what is it that we do? What do we provide? And, and how could it maybe benefit you? So please do go, go over there and check that out, globalfoodfarm.com. As I said, we will be telling you directly how you can talk to many of these amazing folks. And in our episode today, you're going to get to hear from them stories about their conversion to the regenerative mindset. How is it that they came to make this choice to, to, to go in this direction of working with nature and focusing on continuous improvement and not just yield? Uh, it's, a, it's a big change. And so some of the some of the reasons behind that change are are the focus of this episode. As I mentioned, I am super excited to share with you today uh, that you will be having a chance, an ongoing chance, to actually talk directly to these folks in a webinar series that we are that we are launching on December first. Today, I'm happy to announce our first Finding Regenerative Food free consumer webinar. Uh, it will be December first at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, U.S., uh, on a Zoom call. And to be part of it, all you have to do is go to our new website, globalfoodfarm.com or globalfoodandfarm.com, and sign up on the form on the front page that just says you're interested, and you'll get a, an email with uh, the Zoom call information as well as updates about future events like webinars and opportunities to talk directly with these producers. And what it's going to be is, you know, we're going to give the, the producers and food companies a chance to describe what it is they do and how they do it. But mainly it is a chance for you to ask them your questions, not just about the, the food they produce, but about this regenerative movement, about other other claims that you've seen from other brands, perhaps that you want to get an insider's uh, take on. Uh, really, it's it's up to you. Where, wherever you want to take it, this is your opportunity to find regenerative food if you want to actually purchase it, and uh, also to find out more about it from people who are right in the midst of it. So again, that webinar will be December 1st, 11 a.m., and we will try to have these on a monthly basis. And uh, if you sign up on our website, globalfoodfarm.com, 
you will be able to get the call information and notices about upcoming events. On this December 1st webinar, you will be getting to meet producers of ancient whole grain flour and pasta, gluten-free flour and pizza crusts, snack foods made from sorghum and millet, vegetables like onions and squash, and grass-fed regeneratively raised beef. So really, if you wanted to, you could uh, buy <laughs> a whole regenerative meal feast, really, um, just from the producers on this call. So uh, no more excuses about uh, not being able to find regenerative food. That's going to be definitely a theme of this episode. No excuses. So again, sign up on the webinar, globalfoodfarm.com. I know I hate being repetitive, but unfortunately, you apparently have to hear something three times before you'll actually get it in your mind. So globalfoodfarm.com, sign up on the, the form and you'll get the Zoom call. You get to be a part of the webinar, get to meet these amazing people and uh, expand your life all for free. So do take advantage of that. And with that, let's dive into our conversation with these amazing farmers and brands and farm brands who will be participating in the December 1st webinar and, and get to hear more from them about what it is that made them shift into this regenerative journey. Well, I am thrilled today to be joined by several members of our global food and farm community, and that is made up of farmers and food companies, chefs that are really on this regenerative journey. And we're lucky enough to have a number of uh, the folks in this community really actually making ingredients and products that people can buy. You know that that have that carry with them the knowledge of how they were grown and, and the continuous improvement that is continuing to go. Uh, so I want to just go around the uh, the group and have, first of all, have each of them just do a quick introduction and uh, where they're farming and what they're growing, and then we'll we'll continue on the conversation from there. So we'll start with uh, with Craig. Hi, I'm Craig Cameron. Uh, I farm in uh, central Alberta, Canada, uh, with my wife Miriam. Uh, we got two kids, and then we farm with my in-laws. We raise uh, beef. Forage finished beef. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's getting to be forage finished beef now. Yeah, yeah, forage beef, forage beef. Yeah. Yes, um, and many of these folks, you we have done podcast episodes on, and so I'll link to the show notes below the p- different episodes that uh, that feature some of these folks, so you can learn more about them in depth. Uh, so, Deanna, let's go to you. Hi, I'm Deanna Lozinski. I farm in central North Dakota with my husband, Kelly, and we grow a variety of small grains, um, typically in our rotation. And uh, we have introduced heritage grain, um, wheat, um, Egyptian hullus barley, um, and we uh, launched a small brand called Guardian Grains, where we sell our whole grain, uh, stone milled flour, and artisan pasta with the grains that we're growing here in North Dakota. That's great. And uh, Jay, can you, I know you're driving, but you can give us a little introduction. Sure, Jay Brandt here. Uh, Brandt Family Farms in Central Ohio. I farm with my father, David, and son, Christopher. Uh, My wife and second son, Isaac, also have a seed business that's on farm there. Um, we've been involved in conservation practices uh, leading to regenerative, you know, for about 40 to 50 years uh, in our area. So we um, grow primarily corn, soybeans, and wheat, uh, but have started growing some heritage corn and wheat varieties, and also started a local grain hub with about five or six other like-minded producers in the area to supply uh, whole grain 
Uh, and Wes, why don't you give a uh, give us a little introduction of who you are and what you're growing? Okay, well, I I, uh, I manage a ranch that's north of Big Timber, Montana, uh, and I've been here for coming up on forty years managing the same same place. Um, and we we started our organic journey in 1989. And by the time we found out what regenerative was, um, we were doing it. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of how, how we evolved. But basically, all that we sell is is beef. And it's, it's certified organic, grass-finished. Um, and we do have occasional tours of, of the ranch. We market primarily uh, in the state. We've just started. Uh, in the past couple years, um, doing some website sales, that's been somewhat promising, but it's not a not a big volume. And you know, we uh, we shop hard for stores in in Montana. We're getting more and more people all the time, and especially in, in Bozeman and Billings, we're situated between them, so that that helps. But we primarily wholesale our products to. Uh, to retailers. The Community Food Co-op in Bozeman is our largest customer. Great. And we're lucky enough, too, to have two brands with us. Um, I say lucky because there aren't nearly enough of them <laughs> that are actually working with farmers and sourcing uh, regeneratively grown ingredients. Um, so Jennifer Kohler with uh, Around the World Gourmet, why don't you introduce yourself? Yes, yeah, Sarah. Thanks for having this. I'm the owner of Around the World Gourmet, as Sarah mentioned, and we've also started a another DBA called Regenerative Mills. I've been in the food industry manufacturing um, since 2005. Started in 2014 baking gluten-free vegan pizza crusts, and I met you and decided that um, Regenerative was the way to go. So we... Um, through your network, we're able to meet a lot of the farmers and start a partnership um, with a farmer, Adam Chapel, in our group, and buying rice from him directly. And uh, we're milling it. So we decided to buy a mill. We're uh, able to mill other gluten-free grains as well, sorghum and millet and teff and um, what else? Chickpeas, things of that nature. So we haven't started doing that yet, but we are operational and um, hoping to grow. That's great. And, and you're in uh, in Ohio, right? Yeah, Eastern Ohio, um, Central Eastern Ohio. So we're about one hour from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. two hours from Columbus, hour and forty five minutes, really, and about oh, close to three hours from Cleveland. Okay. And another brand that we have, lucky enough to have, Joni Kinwall Moore with Snacktivist. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Joni, and I'm the founder of Snacktivist. Uh, we're based in Idaho, and we are definitely on the brand side. Um, I actually, we're not vertically integrated, so I don't have a farm. I don't have a processor. I don't have a mill. <laughs> I don't have a dehauler. But we're hoping that that can position us in an interesting like location in the business world where we can <clears throat> help facilitate, you know, pull through of different regenerative grains and, and legumes both. Um, 
and be that market force. So we can be more nimble. We can do aggregative um, sourcing. So that enables us to take on bigger contracts um, that a lot of times vertically integrated models can't because they have like a finite amount of materials. And so that's kind of our goal. Um, we've always been focused on ancient grains is like our our major focus, the millets as a family. So sorghum, uh, proso millet, teff, and other millets. Um, we're actually interested in developing a market for like pearl and foxtail and other millets that are important in regenerative rotations. We know a ton of farmers that grow them, but there is not any domestic sourcing program for them at all in the grain form. It's always mm-hmm. grown for pasture or like, you know, for hay. Um, some of the foxtails are actually grown for like a animal feed and, um, and we want to change that. So, um, our focus of our brand, like we do make baking mixes, we do make some finished products. We're trying to get that finished product line launched. And, um, again, it's just always like all the steps. (laughs) So we have awesome farmers that grew for us this year and we're still struggling to get it through the value chain, like get in it to hold, um, while still maintaining provenance and still maintaining all the specifications that we need, like gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a source of frustration to where sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, can't wait till we have a non-gluten-free line because <laughs> we're not <laughs> out to like deglutenize the world. We're just at, out to add value to the grain sector. And we really feel like to do that and to disrupt this notion of grains being empty calories, we have to add diversity back to grains. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that being said, that's what we do. All right. Well, now I want to, um, ask each of you to share, um, if possible, the moment or moment, one of the moments that kind of led you to really make a change in your mindset around how you farm or how you source um, toward regenerative. And, you know, we have a lot of our podcast episodes are exploring what is regenerative and explore the the importance of it being a mindset and a set of principles and not reducing it down to a checklist of practices that, you know, some practices are very important, you know, but uh, it is really that continuous improvement journey and that working with the soil to enhance soil health and true curiosity and as well as outcomes that you can measure uh, all these things. So if you want to know really what is regenerative, listen to the other episodes because <laughs> we've got a whole bunch on that. But this 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 uh, episode, I really want um, for you all and our audience to hear from farmers that have actually and brands that have actually committed to this, you know, their mindset and what what are some of the things that help them make that uh, pretty big decision to to risk you know what you're doing anytime you change something in a business it's a it's a big risk and uh, in something like farming where you have there's a social component to it too like your neighbors are everybody's doing things a certain way and when you start doing things differently well then you stand out and there's you know there's all sorts of stuff that comes with that so it's a big deal to change how you do uh, what you do so. Craig, we'll start with you and uh, maybe share, you know, is there one uh, moment that kind of was a tipping point or? It's kind of, I guess, scary for me because I could get emotional about it. And yeah, good. <laughs> uh, so yeah. like, I guess growing up and uh, and kind of uh, starting on the farm that I grew up on, uh, I was always interested in uh, helping people um, and helping the planet and uh, I went off to university and got my uh, bachelor's degree in environmental chemistry. Wow. Um, And so that was my goal then was to try and help people um, get clean water. And that was kind of the the vision I had going into university. But by the end of university, I realized there was a lot of people that were working on that (laughs) and that I was more um, I was more in a position to help on the food side of things. 
And so I started down that journey. And uh, then I had a bit of a setback in my early 20s when uh, my dad, who was kind of my cheerleader on that, he passed away. And so then uh, I kind of had a rough, rough spot there and kind of just walked away from that and went, I'm just going to go work cattle and just do that side of things. So we went, we started farming with my in-laws here. And then the next big thing in my life was the, uh, the birth of my daughter. Mm. And uh, she had severe HIE at birth and uh, has a lot of disabilities. And so she's totally G-tube fed. Oh. And we kind of walked into that, like, okay, like she's not going to be picky. We want to be able to support her the best we can. So mm. let's find what's, what's going to be the best, most nutritious best food we can give her and that's when we kind of got on the regenerative path of like yeah yeah everything that I've been learning about regenerative just ticks all the boxes on what we want to do to support her and to support the rest of our family and then also our customers so that was the big couple moments that kind of the crazy path that got us here. (laughs) Craig wow wow yeah that's so powerful that's so powerful and um and and I'm so glad too that you you recognize that you have this huge ability to affect the food system. I'm sure it must feel sometimes like you're just a drop in the in the in the ocean. Well, the, the toughest thing I think like for most of the farmers is like we're doing all these good things on the production end and it's so hard to get it to the customer yeah. where they know that they're getting that value. Um mm-hmm. Uh, when we have extra stuff, it just goes into the regular packing plant and just gets mixed with everything else. So, um, it's really nice when we can, when we can get that product to people that appreciate it and, uh, know that they're getting the value that we're producing. Yeah. Well, Deanna, uh, let's hear your conversion story. Uh, we came from a conventional, uh, grain operation. And that involved no-till for us. We're more of a never-till situation. So that part has always been part uh, um, of a, of the equation of what we do. And we were uh, what I call moron farming. Mm-hmm. So uh, all we did was keep putting more of all of the inputs on, mm-hmm. more seed treatment, more chemical, more fertilizer. Um, more insecticide, more fungicide, more of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which you were no doubt encouraged to do by several very we, smart people. Right. Well, we were stuck in the paradigm of big bushels equals yeah. good farming. Yeah. Right. And so we chased that and mm-hmm. we started um, intensively managing our wheat is what it is, what it was kind of labeled. And so <clears throat> my husband developed a way this is about 15 years ago to variable rate, all of our fertilizer applications based on soil type, because we were trying to be more efficient in the the fertilizers that we were putting down. But instead of just now putting down N, P, and K, we were also putting down sulfur and zinc. So um, we watched our fertilizer bill climb Mm. and we watched our plant health decline. And that's really what happened. So um, our inputs went up and we saw disease pressure in our plants go up. The pest pressure went up and um, 
we were always continually um, treating sick plants. Mm. Everything was always sick. And about nine years ago, we just couldn't do it anymore. Financially, we couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, labor wise, it's my husband and I, we could not do it anymore. Just the two of us. There was several, sometimes there was five or six passes over the land to accomplish what we were doing. Um, and we decided this is a, also too right around um, when our daughter was born, our first daughter was born. Um, so, and it really, we decided we were going to have to change something. And maybe if we started farming with nature um, instead of against it, that our plants might be able to become more resilient and start healing themselves. Um, and so that really started down the soil health path of reducing inputs um, and the fertilizer applications and eliminating seed treatment and insecticides and fungicides and pre-harvest desiccants, all of that went away. And so, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a huge, huge transition. And all of those things have been easy compared to what we are doing now, which is um, the on-farm infrastructure of cleaning, storing, processing our grain to go direct to consumer, to retailers, to restaurants and bakeries. That has been the hardest aspect of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because most farms aren't set up to do that. And so, um, that's where we're at now. We're in the growing pain stage of it. Um, and it made it, the transition to regenerative seem a whole lot, uh, <laughs> like easy compared to what we're doing now. And you've had to do that because, uh, the mills that you would send your product to, to be milled aren't, aren't taking regenerative and they aren't marketing it separately. And they, and, uh, the brands that they sell to obviously aren't asking for it. You know, because so so farmers like you are having to add this kind of infrastructure or or Craig is like having to, you know, find ways to to do a processing of his beef, you know, because the existing system doesn't want it, basically. Right. And that's my husband and I started Guardian Grains for that reason, mm-hmm. to give people um, an option um, instead of buying conventional or organic, they could support our farm and in the healing of our soil and um, better food. Um, and that started with grain and then it evolved like many things do into stone milled flour and now artisan pasta. And, and those things, um, are, were easy to fall into place. But like I said, the on-farm infrastructure has been a real struggle for us. Well, good. Well, Jay, what is, uh, what is your conversion story? As I mentioned <laughs> previously, you know, my father, David has been involved with conservation practices, since, you know, late 60s, early 70s. So as one of the uh, first adopters in our region to take on no-till, that kind of built through the years and get his expertise at that kind of travel and meet other folks that were doing similar things and kind of would challenge him to that point where in uh, 2010 and 2011, working with NRCS, uh, Ray Archuleta and Gabe Brown, they received an SARE grant to look at multi-species cover crop blends in front of uh, corn and bean bean rotation, which is traditional in our area. So after application of that different uh, blends that we were looking at, last one year was corn production, and we happen to have a drought uh, in that case. And the corn planted 
in those different cover crop species performed as if there was no drought in our area. So we were able to really glean a lot of information based on that collaborative work with NRCS and the SMARE grant. And part of that was the training as well. That was uh, part of the grant. So we had a lot of field days to talk about what was learned and able to share that information. That really defined how our it added to our process from being basically a monoculture cover crop uh, user to, you know, really get into the multi-species and the ability to really drop fertility and synthetic inputs uh, that before we were really hesitant to do, but this gave us a real footprint on how to start with that and how to advise other people to do that as well. And Wes, what, uh, was there a moment that made you want to go a different direction or a process? Well, I, I, it goes goes back quite a ways, I guess. And and when when we went organic, that was a decision made by the owners of the ranch, and and one that I didn't agree with. But it's their ranch, and so we did it. And we didn't have a gentle transition to organic. I just drove the bus off the cliff, and <laughs> and so it you know our our hay production dropped about 20 percent that's basically you know the only crop that we were raising at the time and i thought aha this this is it and then you do the books at the end of the year and you realize that the drop in production was almost exactly equal financially to the reduction in the cost of the inputs for the chemicals and fertilizers that we had been using previously and all of a sudden <clears throat> the organic became really intriguing at, at, at that point. It, it could be revenue neutral. So what did we need to do with our operation to change things? Um, we started adding seeds to our, uh, our, our hay fields. And, uh, and, and initially, I don't know, I guess the, the first I remember, we were trying to just add clover. Um, we had sold most of our equipment. We put a, a spin spreader on the back of a, uh, an ATV and we'd go out and we'd have to wait for a light snow and we'd run out. So we had tracks to follow and could see the seeds on the snow and we just broadcast the clover seed. We got away with that fairly well and, and did okay. And then we, we had an, an old disc drill that we, we took out and we realized that it wouldn't get into sod very well but it would let us meter seeds and so we started coming up with seed blends that would have three or four different um, plants in in the mix and and do that but when we really turned the corner was about five years ago we bought a no-till drill and that's been a huge game changer for us um i think 10 is the fewest varieties that we've had in the drill box that at any one time when we're seeding, we seed rangeland, we seed, you know, former cropland, we have irrigated ground that, that we seed, we come up with different blends for all. And, and we do use some seed treatments um, that are built specifically for us to encourage life. And I guess that's probably the neatest thing we think about what, what we do is um, I have, I have relatives that farm and ranch and they are obsessed with killing weeds and we are obsessed with making more vibrant communities of plants 
um, on the ranch. And it's, it's the difference between actually living, you know, a, a really positive or a really negative lifestyle. And, and it, it makes, makes everything different in your, in your world to, to be doing that. Um, you know, between just working on improving the diversity of plants on the, the landscape um, and, and doing that. I don't know. It was a few years ago, Gabe Brown was kind of touring the state and, and speaking different places. And I guess that's when we actually realized that, hey, that's what we do. <laughs> We're regenerative now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jennifer, um, I know you're you're not a farmer, but you're a brand. And you mentioned a little bit already about, you know, making a, a decision to really go toward regenerative and make your brand about that. Uh, what were some of the things that led up to that? And was there a, a tipping point experience? So I've always been, even as a kid, an advocate of the earth and always respecting it, not littering, recycling. And it truly, for me, is about respecting the planet that we live on. And uh, I've always believed also that we are what we eat and eating more nutritious foods is important to our minds and and our body. And uh, Sarah, it was you actually who educated me on regenerative agriculture and the benefits it has on the climate change um, issues that we're seeing, not to mention the health benefits for the soil and for us. Um, so it just made sense to me immediately. And I don't know if it was a a moment where I was like, oh, that's it. You know, it was just like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'm on board, you know, mm-hmm. kind of. uh why didn't anyone think of this already? <laughs> I mean, they had already been doing it, but um, well, especially yeah. in the brand, in the brand side, and the processing side, yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me on the processing side too. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people aren't um, jumping in. Anyway, I I think they will be. Mm-hmm. It just takes people uh, longer to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, it may not be a farmer, but I I did. Because I wanted to test this out after you had educated me on mm-hmm. on regenerative. So I went to my grandfather's and I said, I want to, we used to do gardens there. He had always had really big gardens. And I said, I want to, I want to do a garden. Now, of course, we had to get the grass off of there, but mm-hmm. then we did it for two years and I didn't till um, that, that second year. And we didn't, I didn't use any herbicides and pesticides. So that was fun with the weeds, but uh <laughs> I also, for the cafe that we have, um, had my contractors uh, set up a raised bed garden so that we could do vegetables. And these were all vegetables that we were growing, like tomatoes, um, jalapenos, uh, green peppers, habaneros, basil, lettuce even. We had a couple of different varieties of lettuce, cucumbers, things that we would be using in the, in the, in the cafe you know, for prepared foods. And I never tilled that up. I never used herbicides. In fact, I've never even put any fertilizer on anything. And um, we've had tremendous success with the plants and the vegetables. Mm, Great. Yeah. And we're now using regeneratively grown rice, as I mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, we're milling that into flour and using it in our gluten-free pizza crusts. and it's just also amazing to me that we are able to do all of this. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, Joni, what about uh, what about you? What what led to your 
focus on this as a brand? Um, well, <clears throat> I have to say it, it's a little bit of a different angle. I think like back in the 90s, I did a lot of camping and hiking in the desert Southwest, like in Utah and in the high desert and kind of became enamored with cryptobiotic crust. Um, hmm. I have a degree in botany and I have a chemistry background, so I do tend to get kind of nerdy when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> and um you know, just was enchanted by the fact that in one of the harshest environments on the planet, it was really the delicate balance and symbiosis between different species working together that would stabilize soil and provide a substrate that plants could actually grow in, despite having horrific environmental conditions like extreme heat, extreme cold, either no water or when it rains, it just pours and it tends to run off. I mean, the flash flooding in the desert southwest is really significant. And it was the cryptobiotic crust that really is the um, ecological framework that holds desert ecosystems together. And so literally that was like my gateway drug to thinking about regenerative systems in general, because like that same lesson that's learned from cryptobiotic crust is applied everywhere that there's any sort of soil substrate that's getting anything done at all. So unless you're in like on Mars, <laughs> which Mars has no cryptobiotic crust, that's one of the reasons it has no life and has no water. Um, it's, it's like you start seeing it everywhere, that same lesson. And so then I went and lived in Northern Alaska and spent a lot of time in the tundra and, you know, again, same lesson there, like the, the resiliency of the ecosystem was stitched together and held together by the, the symbiotic relationships of microscopic organisms. And so that's really kind of my, like my operating system in my head of, why we need to apply the same principle to all of our arable lands, whether they be pasture, going towards grazing. I grew up um, with cattle. I grew up on a small farm in Western Oregon. Um, and I grew up with a real connection of like food systems. And we had a garden that was pathetic. I don't know why my dad had it in like the worst place ever. Clay soil, it was a struggle. It never did well. And then one year we decided to move it down to the back where the cattle had been. And it just was like night and day. I mean, my dad was like, wow, holy camoly. Like, and so I think that those were those early experiences that shaped my thinking to want to dedicate my life to shifting the entire food system to a more biology focused model. Because once we bring back biology, everything else falls into place <laughs> and soil is where that biology lives. So, um, you know, whether, whether it's impacting climate, because plants are the best organism on earth, um, anything with a chloroplast can bring carbon out of the air and put it back in the lithosphere where it belongs. That's just nature in action. So how do we optimize that? Well, agriculture is clearly the biggest mover and shaper and manipulator of all arable, of all land mass, you know, and so why not put it to work towards good? And markets move practice. And so that's why I'm totally focused on markets and developing products that help infuse need to farming systems for like biodiversity um because diversity on the plate ultimately drives biodiversity in the field and that's just the way the economy works so my all right two cents. i yeah. am getting us all t-shirts that say markets drive practice because what an idea what an idea no and it's, it's totally not we just convince had, all these farmers to change and then no oof, it doesn't work market. like that <laughs> yeah it doesn't work like that and i have farmers literally calling me every week most days like hi we want to grow for snacktivists yeah we want to be a snacktivist farmer and i'm like if we could get our retailers on board and actually yeah. supporting our work we could put we could we could rapidly transition but the sales cycle the culture the 
like thick headedness out there. Yeah. It's, it's a struggle. That's, yeah, it's yeah. a struggle. The struggle is real. <laughs> well, the so retailers who are listening, get your butts in gear. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and <laughs> consumers, consumers. I mean, that's the that's the thing. I mean, the, the hope for all of this really has to be on the consumers. And I mean, anyone listening to this podcast, I think, is interested in in finding better food. And um, you know, one of the greatest frustrations for me, and I know for many of you, I know I've heard <laughs> you all. You know, hear the same thing I do that people say, um, oh, if, you know, this is so great when they learn about regenerative. It's so great. Oh, it does all these great things. Oh, so, oh, we just need to convince more farmers to change. And, you know, yes, of course, you know, that's that's great. And there are plenty of reasons for farmers to do this, even if there isn't a market. I mean, farmers save money, they enhance the assets of their soil. But uh, the people that are taking this message out there uh, are often, big brands that are marketing on how great regenerative is and, and acting as if there's no supply as if there's, as if they can't, they just can't find it. And, you know, yes, it would take some change in the processing, but you know, uh, those guys have a lot of influence with processors. So, you know, if they actually said they wanted it and would commit to buying it, the processors are not, you know, stupid and they're not that stubborn. They would, they would create it. They would mill it. They would chop it. They would, you know, they would do whatever needed to be done. So um, I, I just want um, you all as, as farmers and maybe share, share your experiences with, with that phenomenon. And, and, uh, and, you know, so Craig, we'll start with you. Uh, I think it's just uh, the natural process of uh, having to, try and get it direct to consumer to get the benefits that it's a lot easier for people to go to a store where they get all the rest of their groceries than to come get beef from a small brand or whatever. And because yeah, they, but often they think they're getting the kind of things that you're doing uh, or that regenerative is doing because, and that's to the point about the word and what does it mean and how does it confuse people? But it is, it is something materially different. And I'm excited. That's part of what's so great about our network being connected to Dr. Jill Clapperton, because it's people like her that, you know, could do the actual nutrient density testing and, and show the difference, like actual difference in the, in the final product because of how it was, how it was raised. But, you know, the whole point of you having to go direct to consumer is because there's not a value-added pathway that will take it, right? For yeah, you. not 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 an easy way for um, being able to track and uh, get those benefits all the way to the consumer. It's a mm-hmm. lot easier to just mix it with all the rest of the stuff that you've got coming through, and mm-hmm. um, maybe one person will get a little extra benefit. But yeah, well, in uh, fact, mix it with the worst stuff because yeah. the, your quality <laughs> brings up brings up the. Uh, and I think like you said a lot of the uh the testing and stuff that's coming down the pipeline is going to make a big difference in that people will actually be able to tell Mm -hmm. to see the zinc how much zinc is in your beef or how much beta carotene because it was you know raised on plants and you know all of that good stuff uh well Deanna I know you share this this uh frustration of mine we've talked about it many times but do you do you hear that from people if only more farmers were like you yeah if only more farmers right yeah um (laughs) and it is a frustrating aspect of it because i think that's very true that markets drive practice right and so depending on your area you have to grow what is being purchased Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So when we're talking about this intercropping and let's grow all of these things together, right? Mm -hmm. Let's grow peas, mustard, and oats all together. Mm -hmm. Diversity to your soil system all Mm -hmm. in one pass. Let's do this. Guess who buys that? Mm. Guess who buys that mix? No one buys that mix. (laughs) No one buys that mix. And so it is left to the farmer to separate that mix. And this is what I was talking about earlier on the on-farm infrastructure to even be able to manage something like that. In theory, it sounds amazing, but the separation of those inner crops to offer diversity to the soil system in a single growing season, there it's a it's a challenge, right? Um, and so uh, we wanted to grow milling oats. Well, we, I say me, it's me. It's not, <laughs> it's not we. Um, I told my husband, I said, let's grow milling oats. I want to offer oatmeal through guardian grains. That's going to be my new offering this year. And he said, well, you've already added flour and pasta. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to add one more thing. <laughs> and so, and he said, well, find me the seed, I'll plant it. And so I chose uh, a milling oat that had maybe a little bit be- more aggressive uh, root structure a little bit taller biomass, right? Always putting soil health first. And so we did that. And in the midst of that have been being planted, um, I ran out of my Bob's Red Mill oats that Kelly was making me for breakfast every day. And I said, could you make our Egyptian Hollis barley for breakfast instead? And he was like, just give me whatever. And so I, and he did, and I started eating it and I was eating it for a week. And I said, you have got to really, you really got to try this. And he said, okay. And he had been eating eggs and bacon, right? He's an eggs and bacon kind of guy. And he tried the Egyptian Hollis barley prepared like oatmeal. And he has, and that was in May and he hasn't gotten back to eggs and bacon since. So Um, and as we are having Egyptian hullus barley for breakfast, he had, and I call it naked barley because there's no hull on it. And it's one less processing step for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, he said, I hate to ask, but what does this mean for those milling oats? Mm. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm really sorry about that. I'm not going to be <laughs> offering oatmeal through guardian grains. I'm going to do naked flaked naked barley instead. And he was like, oh gosh. <laughs> and I was like, what? It's 18% protein instead of 11, right? Mm-hmm. Like they both are a great source of beta glucan. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, I say that to say that I have 10,000 bushels of oats with nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Not one buyer, mm-hmm. not one. And they all qualify as a milling oat. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't have a buyer for them. Mm-hmm. So what happens to this 10,000 bushels of milling oats? Mm-hmm. It goes as animal feed. And it's just part of it. So that's what happens where people are growing corn and soy. They're growing corn and soy because that's who's that's where their buyers are. Yeah. Absolutely. I would love to grow oats. It grew beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's uh, offers great benefit to our soil structure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have no buyer for that. Mm-hmm. So here it sits, 10,000 bushels just sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. And Deanna, if you don't mind me adding to that, just because it's an interesting conversation, because like part of like the issue that we're seeing with the oats market path is the um, having them be gluten free, viable, because so much of the oat market is driven by the ability to be tested out as certified gluten free. And it's like, again, the reality for that for 
producers and farmers, like you don't have two combines sitting around. Like it's so interesting how like the market is now shaping that demand because oats are in high demand. Like it's crazy, but a lot of them have to be certified gluten-free. It's like, how do we work with that? <laughs> how do we help you? I want to help you. That's cool. <laughs> right? No, that's, you know, and that it is, it is a, it is a thing, but like you have to like, the market I'm directing it to isn't the gluten-free market, right? It's not even a regenerative market. This is a conventional commodity market and I still can't find a buyer. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying like that, you know, grow oats, grow oats. We all want to eat oats. And then there's no buyer for them. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how excited my husband is about me growing 10,000 bushels of oats and having no place to put them. Mm -hmm. So it's a struggle. Yeah. No, it's well, and the and just the whole fact that you uh, are have built a, a path to turn your your ancient grains into pasta and into flour, because uh, I mean, and same with with Jen, you know, Jen adding a mill to her manufacturing process, you know, that wasn't that wasn't uh, wasn't the first uh, first thing you wanted to do. I mean, either of you, because it's expensive, it's a whole new thing to learn, a whole new complexity to add. But um, both of you and other farmers in our network that are doing are doing this too, adding in processing capacity on the farm because the processors won't take it. They won't do it. You know, even if you would pay them to what they call it a toll, you know, processing fee to basically set aside what they're doing and process your stuff and then go back to what they're doing, rent the facility, essentially, they won't do it. You know, they just, I, I, it, I keep saying it because it's been years of me exploring how do we find, where do we find, how, you know, surely if someone's willing to pay you, you would do it, you know, <laughs> but they won't, you know, and that stands in such stark contrast to all the demand you hear about. And I've read for years, consumer, consumers and what they say they want, uh, all the things, the laundry list of things they want, regenerative meets it, regenerative meets it and beyond. And so um, there, I, I really feel like we're at a point where people have to put up, put up or shut up. <laughs> people, consumers have to actually buy this, you know, this stuff that is, um, is really bringing this, this quality, this almost impossible quality uh, to them and have to, you know, really buy it direct from the source to know, to your, to your point, you know, it's hard to know what is regenerative but if you if you know the people and you know you can t hear their their mindset and their practices and, and see the tests that show the outcomes, then you're as close to knowing as you're ever going to get. You know, and there are more. You all are doing that. There are more in our network that are doing that. So that's my little soapbox. But anyway, continuing on, <laughs> Jennifer, uh, maybe let's let's jump to you off of that because you did a you had a similar thing that you you had to do with taking on creating your own capacity to to create an ingredient. That was how you wanted it because, I mean, you couldn't, if you, you wanted to dedicate your brand to a regenerative, you couldn't buy, you know, regenerative rice. You, you had to mill it yourself. You know, after I met Adam through the network, he had the rice, but he just didn't know how I was going to get it and have it milled. And so he was able to find a cleaners that's nearby that cleaned it and dehauled it and sent it you know, then we were able to send it directly to me, but that was, that was an issue. I know that there were a lot of people who had called around to different mills and no one was willing to do smaller quantities. So I had found also through 
the network, a contact who then led me to Reynolds Engineering, who had pulverizing mills that we could use for uh, rice, which is a little different, you know, um, than the hammer mills and such that you would use for softer grains. So I did have to invest in that. I was able to get some money from the state of Ohio, but it was only maybe like a third of what it cost. Mm -hmm. And we did have a, you know, a GoFundMe campaign that you helped with the video uh, for that. And again, it's just trying to manage some, an entire another project of trying to raise um, funds that way. And just not enough people. Uh, There's not enough. I'd like to duplicate myself five times. (laughs) Joni, do you hear that too? Like if only there were more farmers? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I know so many high quality farmers that are, you know, some of them very far along in their regenerative journey, some just getting started and needing that financial incentive to make the leap and buy, you know, some different equipment that they'll need. Um, etc. And it's just a constant frustration for us that it's passed to market. You know, like right now, I, you know, we're buying some prosa millet from a farmer in North Dakota um, named Martin Gorder, really great guy, fantastic farmer, interesting perspective on holistic management of, you know, like his farming system, which, you know, he's doing a lot of row cropping, which is a, a passion point of mine, because um, that is a part of the ag sector that needs a lot of help. And um and we are having trouble moving a couple totes through dehauling and having it be still, you know, carrying the provenance. Like he's certified organic and he's regenerative. He's working with ROC. We're almost through those hoops. And now it's like all these like pieces in the middle that are just driving me crazy to get it to where we can mill it. And then we can put it into our product. It's, there's a decentralization event occurring in this process and it's not being serviced very well. So we have movement and transition on the farming side. We actually do have movement and transition on the consumer side where we don't have um, enough entrepreneurial innovation and capital is in these middle steps of the process of like, how are we getting it from field to to where it's going to reach the consumers? Because it's awesome if you can do the Gabe Brown type method where everyone comes to your farm and they're buying your, their meat and the eggs and whatever there. But like, if you live in a really rural area, there aren't enough people to support that, A, and B, mm-hmm. there's a ton of people in the city that need really good quality food, and they don't have local food systems. You, uh, Jen, and and um, I know Joni, you, you really with retail and with focusing on you know dealing with customers and customer mm-hmm. feedback. Do you get a sense that cus- that consumers, food, you know, people that are buying food and particularly natural food consumers, do you uh, do you think that they know about this gap and the and the the power that they would have just by asking? You know, if they would ask mm-hmm. their brands, if they would write in an email and, you know, where does this, which farmers are you working from? What are the practices? Because they all, they have their standard, you know, non-answer answers that they would email back to them. Yeah. But the more that they get that input, that consumers actually care about it, that's, that's what starts to move. The I, they're kind of getting there, honestly. Like, um, I think that consumers know that they want something better. Do mm-hmm. they know it's regenerative? No. Like regenerative, mm-hmm. for one, has too many syllables. Like it's a <laughs> catastrophic word for the Well, they don't have to call Even it that. Mean, it's so but meaningful. Yes. Like, but from yes. a marketing perspective, it's kind of marketing suicide. And also there's no clear definition of like what regenerative means. And, and, that, and, and, and for good reason, because it's a dynamic continuum. It can't really be encapsulated into one little thing. So mm-hmm. those are things that are harming the market adoption of regenerative. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think also there is a lesson, and somebody told me a really great example yesterday. They're like, if you would have done a consumer survey about if they needed a smartphone mm. back in 2010, the vast majority of people would have said, no, why would, why, why would we need to carry around a little computer that's expensive? We have a phone. We have a computer. We don't need them combined. Well, Steve Jobs was like, they're going to want this. So mm-hmm. we need to just, we need to get it to them. And then it will change the way the world looks at things. Yeah. And I think regenerative is up against a similar situation where I think we just have to deliver it to them. And then they'll go, oh, where was this? <laughs> like we needed this. It'll be a similar phenomenon. It's just going to take a lot of pushing and some brute force to bring this to the market, honestly. You know, from a grain, we don't have any livestock that are domestic, right? So what we have are the native species that are here and returning, which is awesome, right? And that's been one of the really exciting things to watch about our system is to watch all the native species come back that were gone for a long time and to watch the reproduction of those species, like our our white-tailed deer are no longer having one fawn at a time. They're having two and three. Mm. So the reproduction side of that has been really interesting. Um, and I attribute that 100% to um, soil health and regenerative practices and minimal disturbance, right? I think that, and no insecticide, no fungicide, right? I think those are huge players in that. From the grain perspective, So I don't have another outlet. The grain that we move through Guardian Grains is a fraction of a percent of what we grow. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really is just to help me feel better about our grains not 100% getting commingled at the elevator with conventional grains. It's just a small outlet for me to know where the end user is. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge amount of, um, like I said, there's a huge amount of stress that has come with the whole infrastructure piece on farm cleaning and dehulling and things like that. But there's a whole nother side of it that has been super rewarding. And the um, accountability piece has been huge because dealing and going direct to consumer which is I I I want to do more of. Um, I think it's it's the best way for people to really know their farmer is to come direct to to the source, and so that's where I'm really focusing a lot of our marketing. Um, but I think the important thing about that is that it we have a huge sense of accountability of what we're doing because if I'm 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 dealing direct to consumer now. There's no buffer. So I if I screw up, that's on me. And so the choices I make on the farm directly refe- reflect my customer, mm-hmm. right? So there are things that I'm flat out unwilling to do um, and, and sacrifice, like things that I'm not going to compromise on, like desiccation and insecticide use and things like that, because I am not going to let that interfere with how it affects the consumer's health and my my soil health right Mm -hmm. so and it's and i i like the idea of diversity in the intercropping and companion cropping and it's awesome right the idea is such a pretty picture right all of these things growing together Mm -hmm. Um, but from a grain aspect combining all of that together it's not a saleable product. Mm-hmm. It's not saleable. 
Yeah. There is a whole separate separation process of that. And they're, they're not talking about that end, that end part. Just grow all these things together. It'll just be beautiful. And then what? Graze it with the cattle I don't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just saying like, that's not an option for me. We need to have, have Craig have a road trip, bring his cattle, <laughs> come on over. And, <laughs> right? No, That's something to explore later. Like I think yeah. as more um, of our neighbors that do have cattle come Mm-hmm. into learning a lot more about rotational grazing and things like that. I think it's a good option for us. As we wrap this up, um, I, I just, again, back to the consumer. So, you know, Deanna, you have a website for Guardian Grains and and Craig, I know you're working on that. And, um, and we, again, we have uh, on our, our new website, we are going to have links to all of your uh, operations. So people will be able to easily find you and, um, I, I just I just really want to encourage people to think about the investment in buying from direct from farmers that are not only farming this way, because that's that's fantastic enough, but taking that extra step to really get it in a form that you can buy. You know, it's not just grain from the field, it's pasta. It's fantastic pasta that people rave about with whole grain has it all in there and nutrition and climate friendly and all of that. And you know committing to buy pasta from Deanna or beef from Craig or flour from Jay, or maybe pick one, you know, and you, and you're, and you're continuing to buy that almost like a subscription. My goodness. You know, what, what do we pay for all of our streaming subscriptions or all of our entertainment, you know, all of our Starbucks or, or any coffee shop, <laughs> all the things that we seem to find money for that aren't nearly as important, you know, and, and that's kind of what uh, I just want to like wave a flag and say, you can't get yourself off the hook so easily as to say, if only I could find it because it's there. And we're increasingly at this site anyway, helping you find it. And now it's about making a commitment to supporting these people and, and realizing that, yeah, shipping may cost more and it may be a pain and it may, and it may not compare with the value price that you're going to find at the grocery store, because guess what? It's doing a whole lot more <laughs> for your body and the planet than any of those and I think that's a really good point. I think customers, um, especially our, our growing customer list is so excited to be able to participate in a climate solution, Mm -hmm. a practice that is, you know, helping the climate and helping our farm. Mm -hmm. People love that. And And them. I mean, just, just appeal to the, to the selfish nature of people wanting to, uh, you know, feed their children nutrient rich food. I mean, when, when the soil is exhausted, as it it often is in conventional agriculture, and mined over and over and over again and not put back, not not having this, this richness restored to it, well, what kind of food is it producing? You know, what kind of vitamins and minerals and, you know, are you getting? Well, that's why it's really <laughs> important for us to be working with Jill, right? Yes. Like, yeah. that's one of the exciting things about working with Jill. She's going through and going to be able to tell us, like, these are the things that this that is what's there. This is the result apart. of your of all of your great synergies coming together. Because right. that is the other thing about regenerative. And that's why it's so hard to reduce it to a list. It's not it's not a one for one. It's a you know it's a one and you get ten things in return. It's you know it's exponential. And uh, yeah, so well, I'm so excited to uh, introduce you all uh, even more to uh, to consumers and. Uh, we're going to have a webinar and people are going to ha- get a chance to ask you questions and and, and you all are going to be able to show, uh, well, 
tell at least tell uh, your uh, your experiences on the farm and the practices that you're doing, and and people will be able to to really start that process of committing to buy buying directly from uh, people that are that are changing the world, and through that process, they can change the world too. You've been listening to Tasting Terroir, a podcast made possible by a magical collaboration between the following companies and supporters, all working together to help farmers, chefs, food companies, and consumers to build healthier soil for a healthier world. Rhizoterra, owned by Dr. Joe Clapperton, Rhizoterra is an international food security consulting company providing expert guidance for creating healthy soils that yield tasty, nutrient-dense foods. Check us out at rhizoterra.com. That's R-H-I-Z-O-T-E-R-R-A.com. And the Global Food and Farm online community, an ad-free global social network and soil health streaming service that provides information and connections that help you apply the science and practice of improving soil health. Join us at globalfoodandfarm.com. And from listeners like you, who support us through our Patreon account at patreon.com slash tastingterroir. Patrons receive access to our full-length interviews and selected additional materials. Patrons will also have the opportunity to submit questions that we will answer on the podcast. Tune in next week to hear more interviews and insights with myself, Sarah Harper, and Dr. Jill Clapperton, as well as the regenerative farmers, chefs, and emerging food companies in the global food and farm online community and beyond. If you like our work, please give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks so much for listening and for helping us get the word out about this new resource to taste the health of your food. Until next week, stay curious, keep improving, and don't stop believing that better is possible when knowledge is available.